This week on Paranormally Speaking, it's Halloween Tales, Fact versus Fiction, Folklore versus Fact. That's kind of redundant. I just said fact versus fiction. Anyway, I'll be telling a really cool, newly written ghost story, a ghost tale that will set the mood right for Halloween. Also talking about the history, the horrors, the legends, and the reality of Halloween. What led to it? And what brings us to today? I'm Neil Parks. I'm your host for Paranormally Speaking. Please stay tuned as we bring a word from our sponsor. Available to order now, my first audiobook, Neil Parks Presents Truly Terrifying Tales, narrated by me. It's ready to order and download on bandcamp.com. My other books, of course, are always available to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and lulu.com. You can also order t-shirts that I designed that I normally sell at conventions, festivals, lectures, and my book signings. I always have the 9-inch tall 3D printed Bigfoot silhouettes available, and last spring my first children's book was released. It was written by my good friend and fellow author R.L. Walker. I illustrated this book, and it was a major shift in gears for me, considering that my writing and art style has always been dark and scary. Behold, creepy Halloween tales and traditions. On Halloween, people shed reality for a day and mark the holiday with costumes, decorations, and parties. Creepy legends and characters have evolved based on real, terrifying events, and a Halloween tradition of confronting the dead has led to legions of ghost stories and some hoaxes in the mix. A fear of vampires was spawned by consumption, during the 19th century, the spread of tuberculosis or consumption claimed the lives of entire families in Rhode Island, Connecticut, Vermont, and other parts of New England. Before physicians were able to explain how infectious diseases were spread, hopeless villagers believed that some of those who perished from consumption preyed upon their living family members. This spurred a grim practice of digging up the dead and burning their internal organs. Why haunted houses opened during the Great Depression? In the period leading up to the Great Depression, Halloween had become a time when young men could blow off steam and cause mischief. Sometimes they went too far. In 1933, parents were outraged when hundreds of teenage boys flipped over cars, sawed off telephone poles, and engaged in other acts of vandalism across the country. People began to refer to that year's holiday as Black Halloween. Similarly uh, to the way they referred to the stock market crash four years earlier as Black Tuesday. Rather than banning the holiday, as some demanded, many communities began organizing Halloween activities. And haunted houses to keep restless would-be pranksters occupied. Jack-o'-lanterns and the legend of Stingy Jack. An Irish myth about a man nicknamed Stingy Jack is believed to have led to the tradition of carving scary faces into gourds. According to the legend, Jack tricks the devil into paying for his drink and then traps him in the form of a coin. The devil eventually takes revenge and Stingy Jack ends up roaming earth for an eternity without a place in heaven or hell. Jack does, however, have a lighted coal, which he places inside a carved turnip creating the original jack-o'-lantern. Abraham Lincoln's ghost in the White House. 
For years, presidents, first ladies, guests, and members of the White House staff have claimed to have either seen Abraham Lincoln or felt his presence. Grace Coolidge, wife of Calvin Coolidge, the 30th president, was the first person to report having seen the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. She said, he stood at a window in the Oval Office, hands clasped behind his back, gazing out over the Potomac, perhaps still seeing the bloody battlefields below. Spirit photography claims to capture ghosts on film. In the post-Civil War era, when many Americans were reeling from loss, a photographer named William Mumler claimed to capture ghosts on film. While taking self-portraits for practice, one of Mulmer's prints came back with an unexplainable apparition. Although he was quite alone in the room, when the shot was taken, there appeared to be a figure at his side, a girl who at that time was made of light. Mumler showed the photo to a spiritualist friend who told him the girl in the image was almost certainly a ghost. Mumler then began a swift business in so-called spirit photography. Irving writes The Legend of Sleepy Hollow after fleeing yellow fever. Washington Irving's 1820 tale of a headless horseman who terrorizes the real-life village of Sleepy Hollow is considered one of America's first ghost stories and one of its scariest. Irving may have drawn inspiration from his story while a teenager in Terrytown, New York. He moved to the area in 1798 to flee a yellow fever outbreak in New York City. Irving's story takes place in the New York village of Sleepy Hollow. A lanky newcomer and schoolmaster, Ichabod Crane, is chased by a headless horseman. In the tale, Irving weaves together actual locations and family names and a little bit of Revolutionary War history with pure imagination and fantasy. Horror movies inspired by real stories. On November 13, 1974, 23-year-old Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. murdered his entire family in their sleep. One year later, the Lutz family purchased the house in Amityville, New York, where the horror took place. George and Kathy Lutz then claimed they experienced shocking paranormal phenomena in the house. Green slime oozing from the walls, a creature with red eyes, and multiple family members levitating in their beds. The claims appeared in J. Anson's 1977, The Amityville Horror, which inspired the 1979 movie of the same title, which inspired many more movies. Why did Mary Shelley carry her dead husband's heart? The author of Frankenstein, Mary Shelley, is world-renowned for her terrifying fiction, but few know that she had a dark secret of her own. Shelley's husband, Percy, drowned at the age of 29 when his boat was caught in a storm in 1822. Percy's body and those of his fellow sailors were found 10 days later. Percy, Shelley, the others were cremated, but Shelley's heart did not burn, perhaps due to the bout of tuberculosis earlier in his life. Mary Shelley eventually took ownership of her late husband's heart and is said to have carried it around in a silk bag. Hello, kids and adults and the listening audience. I'm Neil Parks, award-winning author and paranormal expert. I'd like to wish all of you a very happy Halloween. You are listening to Big Bad Daddy Wolf's Halloween special on 96.6 The Wolf. If you'd like to learn more about me, then you need to get to Google and search at The Neil Parks or my 
bookstore website, which is www.lulu.com slash spotlight slash Neil Parks. Thanks. Grave Encounter. Eric had big plans for the upcoming holiday weekend. He was super excited to take part in all the activities of the July 4th holiday. Firework displays, barbecues, and outdoor activities, including swimming and volleyball on the beach. Eric was employed as a sous chef at a very popular seafood restaurant in the small resort town of Sandy Isle on the coast of South Carolina. Eric had been employed at the restaurant for less than a year, and this was his first opportunity to enjoy the summer fun with three plus days off. Eric was pumped. Yes, he thought. I'll be enjoying the weekend off while my coworkers are sweating away in the kitchen. The restaurant manager decided to close early on that day to allow the employees a few hours respite from work before the onslaught of tourists arrived the next morning. Eric was on a mini vacation at closing time today, so he was, of course, even more excited to close. Eric thought to himself, let's get this party started. However, time was dragging today, and as he repeatedly looked up at the clock, the hands seemed to move slower and slower, as if they were mocking him in deliberate defiance of his eagerness to leave. Eric would drive his car or ride his bicycle to work. He decided that day he would just walk. He thought to himself, I'll avoid all the holiday traffic and save some gas too. I'll take the shortcut by the graveyard and I'll be home to meet up with Annie in less than 10 minutes. Yes, this will be a lot better than being stuck in traffic and I can change before Annie gets there. A voice from the dining room called out to Eric. This sound brought his mind back to where he was and interrupted his daydream. Eric, we've got one more order. Could you stick around for just 10 more minutes? Eric was internally perturbed by this request, but on the exterior, he smiled and shot back, yeah, no worries, I got you covered. It appeared that Eric was going to get held over for a little while longer. That little while actually turned into hours. The moon was full and bright that evening. A smooth breeze swept through the town. Eric finally finished his shift. He quickly cleaned his station before taking out the trash. The time was 8.45 p.m. This reality put a spring in Eric's step as he started his walk home from the restaurant. The cold breeze was blowing softly through the town. His walk was well lit by the ambient glow of a full moon. This trip on foot took Eric down the street where the town's old cemetery was located. Eric approached the gates of the cemetery. Something about the atmosphere that night felt unsettling to him. He noticed that the gates were open and unlocked. He thought to himself, it's after sunset. Why are those gates locked? Eric took it upon himself to close and lock the gates. He was hoping that someone didn't break into the cemetery and vandalize any of the headstones that were there. As he continued on his journey, his thoughts were disrupted by a strange noise coming from inside the cemetery. Eric could hear what sounded like a child giggling. Hello? Who's in there? Eric shouted as he moved closer to the gate that separated the living from the dead. He tried to focus in on the area where he thought the sound was coming from. 
Eric stood patiently waiting for a reply, but there wasn't a response. He took a few more steps forward, but then he had his focus taken aback to the cemetery when he heard a soft pitched voice humming and singing. Eric returned to the gate again. This time he was quite agitated and angrily called out, hello, you can stop screwing with me already. The fun is over. Eric assumed that some local kids were fooling around in the cemetery and his impatience to get home. He didn't see the humor in this at all. Cut it out, punks. I know you're in there fooling around. I'm calling the cops when I get home. Eric shouted to whomever was hiding in the shadows of the cemetery. He stood firm on his sidewalk and glared into the darkness. Absolute silence followed his stern warning. Eric thought, well, I guess I showed them as he puffed out his chest, exhaled and turned to continue on his walk. His concentration was broken by something he didn't expect to see emerge from the shadows. Before him, on the other side of the gate, stood a dark-haired figure, leaning against a distorted tree. The individual appeared to be quietly sobbing. Shrouded in the shadows, this person appeared to be a small female with long, dark hair. She was wearing what appeared to be an old, dingy white gown, that was tattered and smudged with dirt. Eric took a moment to catch his breath. He was taken aback by the peculiar sight of this girl. Peering out of thin air in the graveyard, Eric cleared his throat and swallowed hard, only to be left with a dry mouth. He called out, hello? Miss, are you hurt? The girl said nothing. She remained still and continued to weep. Eric was starting to unravel. He had been by this graveyard more than a thousand times, and he had never experienced anything like this. His lungs tightened, making it difficult to breathe. His hands were shaking and wet with perspiration. His head began to throb. Miss, excuse me, are you okay? D do you need help? Eric said aloud. The girl refused to acknowledge his query. He was increasingly agitated by her unwillingness to reply. He took a deep breath. Hello, are you deaf, girl? You freaking understand me. I'm trying to help you, Eric shouted as he placed his hands on the iron rods of the gate. Aaron looked around the area where she was standing. The grave directly in front of him had a pile of toys, cards, toy necklaces, stuffed dolls, and candy draped over it. Eric smacked the gate as he called out to her again, but he was quickly stifled by her response. The mystery girl emerged from the shadows, moving like a marionette and facing away from him. Slowly, she sauntered toward the gate, awkwardly walking backwards until she was in front of Eric. His throat tightened and the hairs on his arms stiffened and stood erect. The girl moved closer and started to turn to face Eric. Eric gasped. He couldn't breathe. He was now face to face with this menace of the night, and he was scared to death. He trembled uncontrollably as he looked into the girl's eyes. To his shock, her eyes were not present. Only vacant pits of black remained. Matted hair framed her pale face. The girl opened her mouth as to speak. However, there were no words and no sound. Only the stench of death poured out from her mouth. 
Eric grabbed his chest as to keep his heart from bursting. He let out a voiceless scream as he jumped back from the gate. His legs were weak from the frightful encounter, and he stumbled and fell from the sidewalk onto the street behind him. The headlights of a passing car immediately blinded him. The vehicle came to a screeching halt to keep from hitting Eric. What are you trying to do, get yourself killed? shouted the driver from her open driver's side window. After taking a second look, the driver called out to Eric in disbelief. Eric, is that you? What are you doing on the ground? You're supposed to be home already. Eric realized who was talking to him. Thankfully, Annie, his girlfriend, was the one driving down the same street just as he was face to face with one of the most terrifying encounters of his life. Annie, we need to go now, Eric shouted. He stumbled repeatedly as he ran to her passenger door. He slammed the car door on his foot upon his first attempt to shut the door and uttered a few profanity-laced expletives. Go, go, go! Eric screamed, and he floored the gas pedal without hesitation. Eric's stomach started to churn as he turned to look back at the cemetery, and he pulled her car into a well-lit parking lot of a nearby gas station. She put the car in park as Eric threw open the passenger door so he could vomit. What is wrong with you? Annie inquired. You look like you've seen a ghost. Eric wiped his puke-soiled mouth with his sleeve and explained the encounter to Annie. Eric always cared for Annie and loved her for as long as he could remember. He shared his story with her without a second thought. Eric, I believe you. I've lived in this town since childhood, and I've seen things in that graveyard that can't be explained. Without saying a word, Annie reached for Eric's hand. She pulled him closer to her and attempted to kiss him. Eric backed away slightly. Annie, babe, I just puked, remember? Annie chuckled as their eyes met again. She moved in for a second time and kissed his vomit-tainted lips. Eric, I love you, vomit mouth and all. Their brief moment together was interrupted suddenly. Eric went into a state of panic. He was grabbing each pocket to double check where he had put his phone, but came up empty-handed. My, my phone, I don't have my phone. I must have dropped it when I fell into the street. Annie, I'm sorry, but I have to go back and get it. What if that witch or demon or whatever it was gets it and finds out who I am? Annie grabbed Eric's hand in order to settle him down and agreed to go back there so he could retrieve his phone. Eric sighed as he traced his hand along her lacy scarf. They got back into the car and headed back into the direction of the cemetery. They stopped near the spot where Eric had been. Annie turned her headlights on high beam. She grabbed Eric's hand and said, I have a flashlight on the back floorboard. Eric grabbed the flashlight and said to Annie, Come on, let's find this freaking thing together. Are you up for it, Annie? He said with a forced smirk. They got out of her car and shuffled their feet as they approached the exact spot where Eric came face to face with this demonic looking apparition. Eric, with Annie's flashlight in hand, proceeded to scour the area looking for his phone. He was hoping to avoid being that caused him to lose his cool. He was afraid that it would show up again but he wasn't about to give up until he found his phone. Eric had heard stories from various townspeople of strange encounters in that graveyard. He had always dismissed these tales as simply ghost stories or legends handed down through the years. This was different from everything else he's heard. It wasn't a figment of his imagination. He saw something unusual. Eric would just laugh and shrug off these supposed ghost stories of encounters in the old graveyard. 
But what he experienced that night would forever change his opinion. Eric, what is that? Annie whispered. Eric pointed the flashlight toward the tree where he saw the ghostly figure. It occurred to him at that moment, holy shit, this is the grave with all of the toys and other stuff covering it. Look at it, Annie. Those items on the grave are scattered everywhere. Eric said aloud, it looks as if something or someone had tossed these toys, seashells, and cards all around the area. Annie, these are covering that dead girl's grave from earlier. When I saw that girl in the white, I noticed the grave was covered with this stuff. What did I see? Annie was standing close to the fence line. She placed her hands along the rails. What is that? She said aloud. The headlights to Annie's car shut off. Eric quickly turned to look at the car to see what blocked the headlights. He slowly walked toward the car, and then the headlights turned back on, brighter than before. Annie, I think your alternator might be going bad on your car. The lights keep flickering. Eric said to her as he turned to face her. To his surprise, Annie was no longer standing at the fence. Annie? Annie, where are you, babe? Eric called out in desperation. He lifted the beam from his flashlight to check the area where she had been standing. He ran to the fence line and used the flashlight to canvas the area in hopes of finding where Annie may have wandered off to. He was beginning to get really worried about where she was. Annie, where are you? Eric cried aloud again. He could hear muffled screams coming from the decorated grave. Eric's heart dropped to his stomach when he panned the ground along the grave and he saw Annie's scarf. Her scarf was sticking halfway up out of the ground. Annie's muffled screams grew softer and softer. Annie! Annie! Eric cried as the scarf was no longer visible and had sunk all the way beneath the earth. As the breeze started to shake the tree branches around him, the laughter of the ghost girl billowed through the air. Halloween is an annual holiday celebrated each year on October 31st. And Halloween 2019 occurs on Thursday this year, in October 31st. And there's been a lot of buzz online about people wanting to put Halloween to the very last weekend of the month in October. Which would be heresy, considering it always falls on the 31st of October, and that's where Halloween should stay. Moving it to another day or another time would be completely absurd. It originated with the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain, when people would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off ghosts and evil spirits. In the 8th century, Pope Gregory III designated November 1st as a time to honor All Saints, which All Saints Day 
became that, incorporated some of the traditions from Samhain, which is Halloween. The evening before was known as All Hallows' Eve, and later Halloween, over time, Halloween evolved into a day of activities like trick-or-treating, carving jack-o'-lanterns, festivities, gatherings, donning costumes, and eating sweet treats. <clears throat> Halloween's origins date back to the ancient Celtic festival. Now, this was 2,000 years ago in the area that is now known as Ireland, the United Kingdom, and northern France. They celebrated their new year on November 1st. Halloween marked the end of the year. This day marked the end of summer and the harvest and the beginning of the dark, cold winter, a time of year that was often associated with human death. Celts believed that on the night before the new year, the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead became blurred. On the night of October 31st, they celebrated Samhain, when it was believed that the ghosts of the dead returned to earth. In addition to causing trouble and damaging crops, Celts thought that the presence of the otherworldly spirits made it easier for the Druids, or Celtic priests, to make predictions about the future. For a people entirely dependent on the volatile nature, natural world, these prophecies were an important source of comfort and direction during the long, dark winter. To um, commemorate the event, Druids built huge sacred bonfires where the people gathered to burn crops and animals as sacrifices to the Celtic deities. During the celebration, the Celts were, wore costumes, typically consisting of animal heads and skins, and it attempted to tell each other's fortunes. And this is where ghost stories around the bonfire started. When the celebration was over, they relit their hearth fires, which they had extinguished earlier that evening, from the sacred bonfire to help protect them during the coming winter. Did you know that one quarter of all the candy sold annually in the U.S. is purchased for Halloween? Amazing little factoid. By 43 A.D., the Roman Empire had conquered the majority of Celtic territory. In the course of the 400 years that they ruled the Celtic lands, two festivals of Roman origin were combined with the traditional Celtic celebration of Samhain. The first was Feralia, a day in late October when the Romans traditionally commemorated the passing of the dead. <coughs> Sorry, I'm still fighting a cold. The second was a day to honor Pomona, the Roman goddess of fruit and trees, the symbol of Pomona in the apple. And the incorporation of the celebration into Samhain probably explains the tradition of bobbing for apples that is practiced even today during Halloween parties. On May 13th, 608 A.D., Pope Boniface V dedicated the Pantheon, Pantheon in Rome in honor of all Christian martyrs and the Catholic Feast of All Martyrs Day. That was established on that day in the Western Church. Pope Gregory III later expanded the festival to include all saints as well as all martyrs and moved the observance from May 13th to the 1st of November. By the 9th century, the influence of Christianity had spread into Celtic lands, where it gradually blended with all the supplanted older Celtic rites. In 1000 AD, the church made November 2nd All Saints Day, a day to honor the dead, all souls. It's widely believed today that the church was attempting to replace the Celtic festival of the dead with a related church-sanctioned holiday. All Souls Day was celebrated Similar, uh, similarly, um, along the traditions of Samhain, 
with big bonfires, parades, and dressing up in costumes as saints, angels, and devils. The All Saints Day celebration was also called All Hallows or All Hallomas from the Middle English Alomese, meaning All Saints. And the night before it, the traditional night of Samhain and the Celtic religion began to be called All Hallows Eve and eventually what we know it as today, Halloween. Celebration of Halloween was extremely limited in colonial New England because the rigid Protestant belief systems there believing that Halloween was much more common with Satanism. It was more commonly practiced in Maryland and the southern colonies and accepted in that region. As the beliefs and the customs of different European ethnic groups and the American Indians meshed, a distinctly American version of Halloween began to emerge. The first celebrations included play parties, which were public events held to celebrate the harvest. Neighbors would share stories of the dead, ghost stories, tell each other's fortunes, and dance and sing around the bonfires. Colonial Halloween festivals also featured the telling of ghost stories and mischief-making of all kinds, basically playing pranks on each other. By the middle of the 19th century, annual autumn festivities were common, but Halloween was not yet celebrated everywhere in the United States. In the second half of the 19th century, America was flooded with new immigrants. These new immigrants, especially the millions of Irish fleeing the Irish potato famine, helped to popularize the celebration of Halloween nationally. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. That's the end, my only friend. The end. Have a great rest of the week. Terrific weekend. Stay warm because the temperatures are dropping. I'll see you next week for another spectacular episode of Paranormally Speaking. I'm Neil Parks, and thank you for listening. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Cause we get around Sensation. Talking about my generation.